1: Hi, I'm
2: Brent Flyberg and I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod, Pod yourself, yourself the, the Wire. Wire. Uh thank you for listening to the world's only The Wire podcast where we talk about HBO's The Wire. Uh The Wire, it's a show about how men would rather pre- protect and serve a hot CI who takes her coffee with a little cream than go to therapy. Uh, that's right. hi, Vince, that one.
3: I'm good how are you Brent I mean I'm, oh, I'm so good I'm battling uh, I'm, I'm coming back from a cold so I'm gonna try and not make my voice sound terrible as much as I can but it's gonna be uh, yeah you sound like shit it's I gonna be a to losing it, battle and I apologize yeah
2: uh, I am once again filling in for Matt who is uh, still trying to get his baby to latch we keep trying to tell mm. him that he's not going to produce any milk but he's not giving up and that's why we love him um, so I'm going to do the thing that Matt does that Vince hates and say, Hey, if you like the show, you should go to Apple podcasts or Spotify or whatever, and give us five stars and a review and sign up for the Patreon. Uh, cause that helps us and he needs yeah. to feed that kid.
3: Do all the things, get that baby to latch. You can just mm-hmm. latch on up to uh, a five-star review. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, today we have got a new guest for you new to the show, uh, from the co-main event podcast, Mr. Ben folks.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. I didn't realize I was on the world's only wire podcast. I should have taken this more seriously.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's a feather in your cap. Mm -hmm. So just be Mm -hmm. sure to put this in all your decks later. Oh yeah. yeah, Don't, don't look it up.
4: (laughs) Yeah. No, why would I? I mean, I I do feel bad about already going and giving you guys a one star review for all the breastfeeding (laughs) talk, uh, because I find that morally reprehensible, but, uh, you know, you live and learn. You find breastfeeding in public morally reprehensible, or or just breastfeeding uh, I find in general? Specifically, breastfeeding talk on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, no, morally he wants reprehensible.
3: Only uh, formula, and uh, he doesn't even like it when the bottle looks like a nipple. Like that's that's too far. <laughs> that seems unnecessary to me. Yeah, um, Ben, are you joining us uh, from Montana today?
4: Missoula, Montana.
3: There we go. That's right. That's great. Um, and uh, do you like The Wire? I love The Wire.
4: I once, I... M- killed an enormous amount of time once on a flight back from Australia where I went to cover a UFC event and was really dreading the f- flight home until I got on there and saw they had the TVs with HBO on it and I was mm. like, yeah, no, I'll watch the entire first season of The Wire again for maybe <laughs> like the fifth time uh, and then there were still like six hours left in the flight when I was done, but still, it really came to the rescue there.
3: I mean, that's like, that you come in clutch on a flight when they have like entire seasons of The Wire. Yeah. Like that's, that's huge. Was that business yeah. class? Or like, was that coach? Oh, come on, do you need to ask? <laughs> do
4: I look like a first
3: class kind of guy to you? I don't know. I do not know if someone else is foot foot in the bill, but you'd think that like uh, having an entire seasons of the Wire would be uh, an upgrade type thing. I don't. You don't think they'd have that in Coach? Well, they did only have
4: the first season. If you wanted to go to the docks with Frank and Nikki Sabatka, you probably needed to be in first class. Oh, that's rude. That's rude.
3: So what? Um, what do you think? Uh, about living in missoula montana is most like the wire (laughs) (laughs) uh
4: the ambient noise of barking dogs uh just kind of constantly Mm -hmm. that's around yeah just you step outside somebody's dog is barking somebody's listening to the latest 50 cent track and uh you know
3: that's kind of where the similarities end they got like a lot of wildlife to bark at whereas you know in Baltimore they got like I don't know crackheads and abandoned couches and things like that
4: well in Baltimore they're getting ready for the big dog fight that cheese is going to take them to
3: <laughs> that's true that's a very good point uh, do you have a favorite wire character
4: Ziggy, Ziggy. no I'm fucking mm. with you uh, <laughs> you know I once dated a woman who compared me not entirely unfavorably uh, to McNulty. And you know what? It was a kind of a wake up call for me. Honestly, <laughs> uh, she specified, you know, good like, for people. <laughs> she was like uh, the parts where McNulty is sort of accidentally being a good dad uh, reminds <laughs> me of you. And I was like, wait a minute. And you were like but holding I, a pint of Jameson on top do of a pile like, of rubble that would be a, a bunk bed at some point. And you were like, what do you mean? I do like that Jameson whiskey. And I have been known to have a taste before diving into a furniture assembly project. Mm-hmm. So,
3: <laughs> I want to know when McNulty was accidentally being a good dad. Because I'm still, uh, you know, I'm re- rewatching the first season. And that has not happened in season one yet. <laughs> um. Well, I
4: guess it depends on your perspective, but, like, when he's teaching his kids uh, the the follow technique, you know, he loses one, but he finds him
2: again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the fact that they know what to do means that he took the time to, like, teach them something, which is, I think, it indicates some level of engagement as a father, it seems like.
4: You can't tell me McNulty's kids aren't growing up with some coping skills. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is true. One yeah. way or another.
3: Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's accidentally giving them skills that they're going to need eventually. Um, but, you know, this is not a parenting podcast. This is a podcast about The Wire. And today we're going to be discussing episode well, Season 1, Episode 12, Cleaning Up, uh, Brent, why don't you yeah. break us off a little bit of that synopsis? We're supposed to do before that. Before I do that, before
2: we can get to the uh, synopsis, we have to play the theme song. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Podcast. All right. I will now break you off with that synopsis. Uh season 1 episode 12 Cleaning Up a Now Toothless Detail continues to exist to the annoyance of everyone but the detail and the Barksdale crew prepares for the worst by cleaning up some loose ends and Wallace should have stayed down in the country man.
3: Oh boy, shouldn't he have ever. Yeah. Um when uh when did this episode I don't know how to do this now that Matt's gone. I feel like you're supposed to be Matt but then I don't know. One of us is sure. supposed to be Matt and we kind of trade off Um, yeah yeah who's doing the setup for the thing oh
2: are you talking about the cultural context that's that's necessary yeah i think i think what you're talking about is that we need (laughs) cultural context to understand what was what was
3: going on at the time exactly and for that we go to the back in the day machine
5: it's a bad time for newspapers the news hole is shrinking as advertising dollars continue to decline There
6: ain't no back-in-the-day machine tells the tale, son.
3: That's right. We're taking the the back-in-the-day machine all the way back to September 1st, 2002. Uh, We're almost 20 years to the day. We're about a month, almost a month and a half off about right Mm -hmm. now. Um, It was a a different time. Phones, they they flipped open back then. Uh, Cars, they uh, didn't sync with your iPhone, because they didn't have them yet. Um, Other headlines that were going on. uh, This is from the New York Times. Workers are angry and fearful this Labor Day. Uh, With longshoremen, janitors, and Boeing employees threatening major strikes and employees reeling from corporate scandals and rising unemployment, the mood among American workers has turned anxious and even angry this Labor Day. Uh, Yeah. People are are mad. Uh, Stuff's going on.
2: Yeah. So the story is That uh, people are mad.
3: I think this is one of those things where, like, an editor was like, All right, we need a uh, state of labor to go out Mm. uh, to peg it to to Labor Day. And uh, someone was like, Anxious, that's the word of the day. Um, I don't
2: remember. So my dad worked. My dad was a machinist for Boeing. And I don't remember this strike threatening. I remember it happening at various points, but I don't remember this one specifically. So sorry, go on.
3: Yeah. Unions are threatening walkouts by 10,500 longshoremen, 10,000 Boston janitors and 25,000 Boeing employees for reasons that are worrying American workers in general. Fast rising health care costs, slower wage growth and fears about job security. Ten thousand Boston
2: janitors. That's uh, that's our listeners, right? <laughs> well,
3: not even. This is probably their dads. <laughs> yeah. um, economists say the mood is soured among American workers, union and non-union, because wages are stagnating and unemployment has climbed to almost six percent, the highest level in eight years. Uh, but luckily, we solved all those things, and mm-hmm. uh, things are going great now. Um, on the foreign policy front. We got this from the New York post British prime minister open to taking on Saddam. Uh, we're still doing the, we're still doing the, we're still in the, why you hitting yourself phase of the Iraq war mm-hmm. at this point? We haven't really, <laughs> uh, we haven't really jumped in there. We're just, we're doing a lot of threatening and, uh, it's making it pretty clear what's going to happen, but I don't know yeah, why. 9-11 just, hasn't even turned one yet. I guess we had to just move the troops closer before we <laughs> could really do anything. British prime minister, Tony Blair insisted yesterday that the world would not stand idly by while Saddam Hussein violated UN resolutions on developing weapons of mass destruction. Uh, doing nothing about Iraq's breach of these UN resolutions is not an option. He said, that's the only decision that's been taken so far. What we do about that is an open question. Yeah. I feel like it was an option. Now it feels like that. We kind of learned that it wasn't not, we could have done nothing there. <laughs> yeah, it would yeah. have been fine. That was the very important we les- lesson we learned that you can in fact do nothing. It's
4: at least worth a shot. I think to do nothing. Yeah.
3: It's kind of one of those things you can do nothing while you wait to see if there's something good you can do. But uh, look, we're Monday morning quarterbacking. They didn't know this back then. This was. No, who could have known? This was 2001. <laughs> we didn't know those kind of things. Um, on the, uh, on the, in celebrity news, and this one I actually, oh, sorry, I have to log in. to. Do you
4: need my people.com login info? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly.
3: Yeah, uh, I've got I'm there. I'm a premium member. I got there. Uh, actually, I, I barely remembered this story, but I really enjoy it. Uh, Artist of the Millennium MTV says Jackson didn't receive award. Uh New York, Michael Jackson has received so many awards during his career, he apparently mistook a birthday gift from MTV as another accolade. Britney Spears presented Jackson with a birthday cake at Thursday night's Video Music Awards. Before introducing him, the 20-year-old Spears gushed that she considered Jackson to be, quote, the artist of the millennium. When Jackson came out, he was presented with a cake and a statuette in the shape of a treble clef. He then said he never dreamed he'd be getting an artist of the millennium award and went on to thank several people, including his mother. Uh, When I was a little boy in Indiana, if someone had told me as a musician I would be getting the Artist of the Millennium Award, I wouldn't have believed it, Jackson said. Well, turns out he didn't get one. The statuette was just a token of appreciation for Jackson's 44th birthday, which coincided with the awards show, MTV Spokesman said Friday. Uh, So that was fun. That's like his uh, his Zoolander moment.
4: That's kind of actually a power move, though. Somebody gives you something and you're just like, I... I cannot believe I never thought I'd be receiving an award for the person best at sex. Thank you all so much.
3: (laughs) Well, the best part about this is I, I bet Michael, I bet no one even like updated Michael Jackson to tell him that he didn't get that award. Like, yeah, because there's no upside to that. You're just gonna let no. him go on, keep thinking. He, he went to it. the
2: grave thinking he he won the the Artist of the Millennium Award, and it's it's also very funny that he's like I never I never would have thought this would have happened, but it's like you did clearly. <laughs> he's kind of in the back yeah. of your head yeah. for a long time, probably.
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> been your dream all along. That was yeah. yeah. Um, other news, uh, we got John Walker Lind. The American Taliban has. Uh, He's in court. He's got captured a while before this, but I think he's he's like in court for the first time uh, this week. Um, another thing I noticed while researching uh, the news of this period was that uh, newspapers would just let people just write stream of consciousness shit, um, and I, like every week there's a different one of these. Uh, from the New York post. Usually they're by Linda Stasi and I don't really like remember her, but I'm getting to know her through the, <laughs> uh, through the back in the day machine process. Um, this is just something that she wrote about Chris Angel. And uh, I want to read it just cause I was sort of struggling to find a through line in all this, but I, I really liked that they just employed people to just uh, just write stuff off top, off top back then to just mind freak. Yeah. Getting uh, Headline, getting tanked was some fine new trick. Giving new meaning to turning a trick in Times Square. Oh, God. Last week, illusionist... (laughs) That's how it starts? That's how it starts, yep.
4: Jesus.
3: (laughs) This is the post. Uh, Last week, illusionist Chris Angel submerged himself upside down in a giant tank of water. 24 hours later, he emerged and collapsed from dehydration. Huh? The man was in a bazillion gallons of water. You'd think he'd be collapsed from bloating. (laughs) What? Try submerging a woman in a tank of water for 24 hours, and for sure she'd emerge 15 pounds heavier. Me? I retain water just taking a bath. Who knows what I'd weigh after spending 24 hours upside down in a tank, especially if I'd had Chinese takeout beforehand. They'd have to take me to a weigh station on the turnpike to get an accurate read. What's really puzzling, however, is where Angel got the water to fill his tank. We're in such a drought that every fountain in the city has been oh my drained God. dry. Angel's biggest feat wasn't staying upside down in water. It was not getting fined by the city for using water.
2: This is a journal entry.
4: (laughs) It's a MySpace blog entry. The country is saber-rattling its way toward war. And she's like, you know what? Where'd they get the water for this tank? <laughs> yeah.
2: Do you think that? Uh, and yeah, she's got a real like Kathy attitude. Like, yeah. put me in water for twenty four hours, ack! I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna swell up. Yeah. Also, does that make sense? I I'm not I I'm I'm not a water scientist. No, I think she's saying like... that
3: women are not watertight because like they have they let <laughs> they let water in the front, whereas men like we have like a we have a shut off <laughs> valve up there, but yeah. women. Unless they yeah, are, ours is like
2: a like those Gatorade bottles that you can squeeze and it shoots out. But if you turn it upside down, yeah, yeah,
3: that's right. But not women, not until they get that mucus plug in there. Otherwise, <laughs> they're just they're just letting water in. They're letting air in. Who knows what else is getting in there?
2: Oh, I'd love so, to
3: know how much that lady was getting paid to do this. <laughs> Probably more than any of us are getting paid now. That's yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but you know what? I'd say she deserved it. That's that was an entertaining article. That was like one of the. Uh, Top twenty stories of that day it was people just reading uh Linda Stasi the uh the board moms Dave Barry I guess I don't know I don't know what you would call her <laughs> I feel like we need uh the tedious columnist role like that's been missing in culture for a while like we used to have we used to have dave Barry. we had Rick Riley, I used to like wait get excited for the Rick Riley article at the end of Sports oh, yeah. Illustrated. That was just like about whatever.
2: Yeah, I love those too. They're they're for sure like brain dead. But yeah, oh man, I'd I'd kill to have a, a modern day Rick Riley uh, in my
3: newspaper. I feel like all our modern day Rick Rileys and Dave Berry's uh, just like you can't do that without being a culture warrior somehow. So now it's yeah. Like, Best case people?
2: scenario. Yeah, they're like TikTokers for bar stool.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. So I feel like that has given us proper cultural context for this episode of the Wire. That has been definitely the back in the day machine. Do you feel like I missed anything, you guys? No, I think I think you got it. Any um, any big stuff from September two thousand two that you remember that sticks out in your mind? Not for me, Ben.
4: You know, I'm still hung up on the thought of a 20-year-old Britney Spears giving <laughs> Michael Jackson the birthday gift. And I think if you could have gone back in time and told me, I would have been like 22 at the time. And you could tell me one day there'll be a free application on your phone and Britney Spears will be on there just posting nudes. Yeah, constantly
3: <laughs> yeah. posting nudes. With you...
4: the tiniest little heart just <laughs> barely covering her <laughs> vagina. The smallest heart she could make on the... The posts, I would yeah. have not believe. I would have been like, the future is a wonderful, magical place. Yeah,
3: we thought like, what? How much money is Britney Spears gonna have to get before she finally poses naked? Like, we're gonna have to beg her and cajole her and convince her to finally do that nude spread. It turns out like, uh all all people around her were doing was keeping her from just posting the nudes all the <laughs> yeah. time.
2: They just had to let her out of her cage. Yeah, great,
3: great. She loves being naked. That's God bless her. Um, but this is not a Britney Spears podcast this is a podcast about episode 12 of the wire cleaning up. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any general thoughts on it, Vince? Do I have any? Yeah, I see. I think this is an episode. I mean, first of all, I would say this is arguably one of the most memorable episodes uh, of the wire Um, Mm -hmm. on a, on a, on a smaller level. I think it's, it's sort of an episode about how a lot of the most important decisions are made with the fewest amount of words. Cause like a lot of big things are going down mm-hmm. in the episode and they're sort of community communicated to the characters, like in a, in a, in a low key way, like they're trying to be very casual about all the big things. Um, but yeah, in terms of the wire in general, uh, this kind of, predated the game of thrones. Like we think of game of thrones being one of the first shows to like take your favorite characters and like kill them off. Right. When you Mm -hmm. just fall in love with them. But uh, this one proves that the wire was doing this 20 years ago.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. I, yeah. Ben, do you have any general thoughts? Yeah. You know, I kind of forgot until I went back and watched this one, how much stuff goes down in this one, that how much setup comes to fruition. In this one, and I also feel like this is sort of the episode where we crammed in a lot of people telling us the stuff that they had been showing us about mm-hmm. themselves, just in case we missed it. Like yeah. the very beginning, where you have McNulty being like, "This case was just about me showing everybody yeah. how smart I was." <laughs> yeah, and it's a great scene, honestly, with him and and Daniels, where Daniels like, "You think we didn't all know that?" And Yet, there's a few of those sort of moments throughout the thing where somebody is saying, hey, like at one point, Wallace just says, this is me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> gesturing around to the housing project. And you're like, okay, so that's what we're doing sort of in this episode. But we're also sort of hammering home some of the things that will become themes throughout the wire, which is basically both in like drug wars uh, that the police battle and drug wars between drug crews the sort of thing that later Slim Charles will give voice to by saying, once you're in it, you're in it. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of saying that in that first scene where Daniels is being like, hey, I didn't care about this case either until you brought it to me and you were a pain in the ass about making us pursue it. But now we're in it. So yeah. now we got to do it. Like, we can't just stop now. And it's like, OK, that's sort of a a microcosm view of the entire war on drugs right? yeah and i
3: yeah. And like i like i was sort of uh bringing up the reasons that why the wire was maybe ahead of its time but you make a good point like there are elements of this that you know that do feel 20 years old that do feel uh like tv prestige tv did not um it, it assumed it had to hold your hand a lot more back then and so even as the wire was like ahead of its time there are whole scenes that are just like pretty on the nose in terms of the characters like just telling you outright what the subtext of uh, their role has been intended to be this whole time Um, I think I have a clip of that cold opening uh, Brent in there I think it's called Um, The Case Means Something Now? Yep that's the one
2: This this
7: case is going to move forward with you or without you. This case got a shot I put a battery up her ass and got her thinking this case meant something. And you know what? Burrell and Rawls and them, they were right. (sighs) This case means exactly shit. Well, I know it meant damn near nothing to me when you came in beating the drum. But now we got that woman in there, that good police, breathing through a fucking tube because it meant something to her. And the shooters who dropped Kima they're still in the wind and whoever sent those motherfuckers into that alley he needs to get got too so you can stand there dripping with liquor smell and self-pity if you got a mind to, but this case it means something now
3: yeah and i think that's like the the most one of the more old fashioned of sentiments that you get uh on the wire like you kind of get this from a lot of cop shows where it's sort of Uh, making a case for like the nobility of police work. But I think by the Mm -hmm. end of this episode, we sort of, we realize that's just sort of, that's Daniels. uh, That's not really um, what the show's trying to convey. That's just sort of Daniels' character that he wants to believe that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you sort of get to the end of this episode and it's like, uh, what did they accomplish? There's like this open question about whether there would be fewer dead people if they hadn't uh, tried to arrest anyone or uh, if that was all just stuff that they did by interfering with the normal course of the drug trade. Yeah, yeah, in terms of like uh Wire episode kind of a lot of bodies, but they stack up quietly
2: in this episode uh and uh yeah, just overall like you were saying, this is a really for me it was the episode I remembered more than any of the other ones for you know reasons we'll get into but it's also like on rewatch not not my favorite episode like there's just like it's i don't know there's a lot of just a lot of like administrative logistic stuff Mm. that i that took me like three watches to understand what was going on like all the stuff with the polling campaign finance reports like on first watch i was like what is this i don't care
3: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's very it's very grandstandy, it's very actors-y. There's a lot of uh, monologues yeah. and you you mm-hmm. tend to remember those, but I don't know that they're necessarily like my favorite parts of The Wire in retrospect. Yeah.
4: This is the episode though that I think we first start to see that uh Lester Freeman some lines are getting blurred for him in his <laughs> his devotion to caring for witnesses in the case, but <laughs> one witness in particular. <laughs>
3: yes. Yeah. Uh I do love that uh, I mean, Freeman is probably my favorite character in the show and they uh mm-hmm. this episode where cuz you sort of he he's sort of like the old salt for a lot of the show. He's like the voice of reason and he's always telling guys to like do their jobs and what they should be caring about. So like your natural um your natural response is to think that he's sort of uh like the moral compass and the, <laughs> and like the and the the, the reasonable part of the show, but in this episode is like, "Oh, he's kind of an old pervert, too." <laughs> hey, but he's working it. I mean, yeah. it's he's yeah. he's an old pervert with smooth. some game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's good at what he's doing. That's why a few episodes ago, Matt Matt was talking about Freeman being an incel. And I'm like, no. Like this episode <laughs> is proof that he was not a cell at all. Like he uh very, very active, I think.
2: Yeah. Uh yeah. So if we want to kind of break it down, like we can follow the cops, like we we get the scene with McNulty. Then we get uh, the first sort of um, hint at Freeman being a little being a little freaky deaky and uh, hitting on Chardine, and find out there's no more activity on the phones. Uh, that's kind of the scene we were just talking about. And then we get we get and it took like three watches for me to understand this part. But Presbiloci Presbiloci and Freeman talking about campaign finance reforms, like just following the money, mm-hmm. just really working the case. Um, and uh, and then we find out Chardine's gonna be their mole, uh, and then we get that scene with Burrell. Uh, I really like this scene where where McDaniel's Daniels goes into Burrell and and Burrell is basically like shut it down, like there's nothing on the phones. And uh, I love that scene because he he kind of I I mean I feel like he kind of plays Burrell in that moment, uh, and I have a clip of that. Uh, It's the, I mean, it's the part where he's like, "You got to send some guys back," and Mm -hmm. he, the way he plays it, I think is really. It's a big
3: setup for. I mean, it's one of the most long-running, uh, like plot, plot. Uh, I don't know. One of the like the the most length between setup and punchline because like I think it was I don't know maybe in the first or second episode of this season someone's telling McNulty like don't ever tell him what you don't. I think it's Freeman who's telling McNulty. Don't ever tell him what you don't want to do Because that will uh, end up being Exactly what you're going to have have to do Which, you know, of course Is like the setup for the entire second season But yeah. then this scene is like Daniels Who is the ultimate operator Who knows how to work within the uh, System of the police department The things that McNulty uh, Has like disdain for and no interest in doing uh, Like Daniels knows Exactly how to play this And uh, that you can play that clip Yeah
4: <laughs> you want
6: to sit listening to a bunch of broke-ass payphones have at it, <laughs> but you don't need all that manpower to do it You want somebody's back I send a couple no problem now hold on lieutenant <laughs> I gave you those people I decide who comes back But feel free to speak your mind if it were up to you
8: He
7: ask you a question lieutenant I have no opinion take your pick
6: What's the name of that old detective from Pawn Shop? Yeah, and that young one, uh, Valtex brain-dead son-in-law?
7: <laughs> Freeman. Prisbuluski. Keep him.
6: Send back Sidnor and Santangelo.
3: Yeah, I love that because it's like, oh, what? Who's the officer that's probably like the one person in this detail that it would hurt Daniels most to live without? I know. Santangelo. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who got tricked by the psychic the psychic yeah. trick uh and uh buried a saint in the in, in a cemetery because
2: yeah the the two guys who have strictly been uh st- like the only thing they've really contributed to the detail is being on the roof <laughs> and yeah the guy who who seem like complete duds he's like i know who the duds are and it's like those are the two most valuable guys yeah it just shows that like The leadership really has no idea what's going on. It's the same in any office job. Like if you asked your manager's manager to like pick the high performers (laughs) and the low performers, they get it wrong every time.
4: Well, Sidnor, I feel. I mean, like Santangelo, yeah. Like Sidnor is a is an ultimate utility player, though. Yeah, yeah. Like that that's a guy who who does a whole lot. Uh, that you know, when you need to dress him up like a crackhead and send <laughs> yeah. him in there, he can do that. He's a he's a workhorse up on the roofs. You know, he's gonna grouse about it a little bit, but not to the point where it becomes his whole shit. Like he he really is a, a guy that uh, I think versatility wise. Uh it does hurt a little bit to lose.
3: For sure. I mean, and as a boss, you look at him and you're like, Well, this is clearly like the guy that has his, his shirt tucked in and uh is- <laughs> shows up to work with like a clean shave and has probably done a push up like in the last week or like- yeah. <laughs> minimally hung over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like the least <laughs> drunk of all these guys. Yeah.
2: Uh that scene and then the scene right after it both feature two guys who have never appeared in the wire who show up just to antagonize uh the the characters. There's the guy who says like speak up and then yeah. when Ronnie the the State's didn't, attorney.
3: We didn't know like a couple episodes ago, like he yelled at uh he, oh, he yelled at Daniels in the office and we're like, Who the that makes f- okay. who the fuck is that guy? And then he shows back up and we're still kinda like I still don't know who that is. Uh but I get that he's bad. Yeah, he's, he's Burrell's guy. Yeah, he's his lackey. I like that they're playing they're sort of playing a uh, good boss, bad boss in that scene cuz it's like <laughs> they're <laughs> telling him why he's fucked but also they're like pumping him up to become a major. It's like they're doing a uh, plato plomo with them where they're like, "All right. They're dangling a carrot out there and then they're telling him that uh they could fuck him over whenever they want also." Mhm
4: well you mentioned that the next scene where the uh the state's attorney Demper is yelling at or is bringing uh, Rhonda Perlman in to talk to her, and that's one where like I was really impressed with my man's baltimore accent there <laughs> i i really wanted to look it up afterwards to see if i could find out if he's because you know how they'll sneak in some people where it's like okay yeah. you're clearly not an actor but you yeah. you got the, the accent down because you really are one of those people and i don't think he is i think he actually is an actor who just nailed it because especially some of those words where he's just like i want you to take this back to whoever's on the hunt and you're just like okay <laughs> yeah i think this, I have a, this feels baltimore i think we
3: have a little clip of that you got backdoor too huh
4: well
9: just so there's no misunderstanding, I want to give you this. Copies of checks on the account of my reelection committee representing the return of five separate contributions totaling $4,500. Also, copies of the checks from the donor are represented in there too. Well, kind of like Caesar's wife and all that shit. <laughs> the only thing that we could come up with were those five checks. And I don't know those people. And I don't know why they gave that money is going to be returned to the donors immediately.
3: Yeah. So this whole like follow the money plot line was, uh, I, I, I agree with you, Brent. Like when I, um, upon first watch, I was kind of like, what, what are we doing here? Um, mm-hmm. cause there's no, it sets something up that doesn't really pay off until like later seasons. But, uh, in watching it, again for the show, I think I got this sense that like the open question with this whole thing is like, what are these, what are these cops actually doing uh, in trying to stop this, this drug gang? Like what is, what is the downside to just letting them uh, sell, sell drugs? And uh, I definitely don't think it's like making a case that drugs shouldn't be legalized, but I think it is speaking to the fact that, like the downside isn't necessarily that these drug dealers are going to like kill more people. It's the fact that now you have all this, uh, money sloshing around in the system. Um, Mm -hmm. and because it's, uh, because it's like black market money, all this, all this, like all this black market money is going to slosh, to whoever is the most corrupt operator within the system uh by default because you know it's yeah. it's dark money that's uh that's what it does it cannot it can't go to like the most legitimate and so and they're really doing it through like hints and comments here and there and just like the newspaper headline that's showing that they have this whole renewal project which uh which Avon Barksdale is clearly like paying off all of these politicians in order that he's going to, you know, be able to have more ways to launder his money and get like the, these whole, all these projects done, which isn't necessarily like a societal ill necessarily, but it is, uh, it is propping up a bunch of corrupt politicians who don't really give a shit about anything except getting that money and skimming a little off the top.
2: Yeah. And we, I mean, we really see that in the scene with, uh, Clay Davis, not not long after that where he's just, he just outright says we don't care where the money comes from we we cash the checks we count the votes we move on
3: yeah
4: Th- that honestly is one of my favorite scenes in this episode just just because I feel like we've been slow boiling to get Daniels and Clay Davis in a room together <laughs> with Burrell having to be the referee between them and I love watching Clay Davis go from fake nice like hey we're all on the same side here there's no reason to be looking into anything i don't i'm mm-hmm. not into drugs to very quickly like fool do you think we know where the money comes from <laughs> and you're <laughs> yeah. just like okay we're gonna see the real clay davis here and to see like, like daniel's just kind of no sell his reaction like okay i've heard you can i go now yeah and like i think that's one of the best scenes in this whole episode
3: but yeah because i mean it's kind of, he, he's doing the politician thing where they're at once uh, worried about. They're worried about this scrutiny, but at the same time, they also have weight to throw around. So it's mm-hmm. like he goes into it, you know, playing like, "Oh, I'm scared. Don't do this. Uh, let's let's be friends." And then he realizes he switches into like intimidation mode.
2: Yeah, yeah, he goes in with like a, a big smile and then starts baring his teeth and growling at him. Yeah, dude, it's and I think it's the first real scene with Clay Davis at all, isn't it?
3: Like, you yeah. kind of see
2: him in passing here and there. But, yeah, it was the first time you see him. And you, But we don't get a, a she it in this one, which is too bad.
3: It's the first scene <laughs> where we, like, sort of understand what he's about.
5: I'm not involved in drugs, Lieutenant. Good. And this business with the senator's driver. Mr. Price. Damien. Diddy. This business with Mr. Price. This is a misunderstanding that is really of no concern to the police.
7: We hear $20,000 of cash on it. This is... <laughs>
5: Look, crime here? That was money that Damien already had on him when he drove down to Franklin Terrace. Money from a cash bar fundraiser the previous weekend. We we found an amended finance report that shows that it... Fine. If there's no probable cause
6: for a search of Mr. Price, I think we are in agreement on that.
7: No, there was PC for the search.
5: Irv, will you explain to this motherfucker just what the fuck it is he's doing here?
7: lieutenant Dan. excuse me sir but it's pretty basic if the senate is not involved in anything illegal then he doesn't need to worry i can't be any
5: clearer about it than that fool what do you think do we know anything about who gives money do we uh, give a damn about who they are or what they want we don't care we just cash the damn checks count the votes and move on anything else deputy Burrell?
3: and it still it kind of leaves you wondering like uh, is it bad that he's getting, uh, this, like, should we, like, you want to catch him just because, you know, it's putting you in the shoes of the cops where you're trying to play a word game and you're catching, you're, you're finding the secret word and you're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to win the prize, but like, you're wondering, are you doing anything? Like, is it, is it making the world a better place necessarily? And when Clay mm-hmm. Davis is like, Hey, we just take the money and get the votes. And you're like, eh, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah and then your boss as a cop like your boss is going like yeah shut up dude like, <laughs> yeah this is how it works that's yeah. it's got to feel like shit this is how it works um, it can
3: happen with you or it can happen not with you
2: yeah uh so then after that scene we get one of my favorite scenes which I have a clip of it's um the Freeman and um and herc and Sidner are in the van, listening <laughs> to uh, Chardine inside the club and they're having a little argument and it's another, it's another great uh, Freeman moment, but I'll just play that for you. where you get these, man? Freebies.
6: Broadway market? Best chili dogs in the state.
7: Oh, man, not even. I give you 10 bucks if you can name a better dog. George's lunch on Light Street. The green joint? They closed that place back when you were
5: still sucking on your mama's nipples, man. Your mama's nipples? We were sucking on them crumbs last night. You owe me 10. Uh-uh. I should name a better dog you could have today. Not in world history. You just said a better could dog. Could you God? go get
7: that dog right now? You could not go get the can dog. You told right me now, can you said the best fucking physically, dog. Physically. Physically. Will you Ivy Leagueers keep right? it down? I can't
5: hear a goddamn thing.
2: Uh, great line, read. I love that he calls them Ivy Leaguers after they're arguing about hot dogs. Uh, ten out of ten. Can't get enough.
4: The best dog in world history. It's <laughs> yeah. a, a great line. And I also love the, the the this idea of a bet of I'll give you ten dollars if you can get me to agree. <laughs> a, the better, choice. like I give you ten dollars if you can get me to act against my own interests. Yeah. If, you
2: like, can, yeah. if you can get me to stop lying, I'll give you ten dollars. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Uh, uh. Freeman does a lot of uh, telling these young snappers to pull up their pants uh, in this episode, <laughs> which is great. But he also does the, uh, you know, sleezing on Shardine, which is sort of the the yin yang of being uh, the old man, like the <laughs> the old man who's uh, seen some stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, the scene just following that where, uh, you know, Shardine is upset about having to wear the wire. Uh, they find they realize uh, Daniels realizes that uh, after Kima getting shot they sort of forgot about Wallace like he was supposed to be out in the country mm-hmm. and they were supposed to check up on him um, it's funny because like for all of the uh, great speeches Daniels gets in this episode like the nuts and bolts of him actually being good at his job it's like sort of 50-50 like he, he, clearly, yeah. he clearly fucked this one up pretty bad yeah that's a major bongle <laughs> like you I get I mean? it
2: I've never had a coworker get shot, so I don't know how (laughs) I would do after that. But yeah, go ahead, Ben.
4: It it, it works, I think, because the audience has kind of forgotten about Wallace too, Mm -hmm. and so when he says it's like, you know, they're like, "What happened?" Like, you know, Kima got shot, and you're like, "Yeah, no, I mean that'll do it." (laughs) Like, like, sure, that outweighed uh, Wallace down at his grandma's house in the country.
3: Yeah. So they're freaking out about where Wallace is. Both the the Barksdales and the cops sort of remember Wallace uh, around the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, they need to go get Wallace from, uh, from the country. Um, And it turns out that he, he shows back up uh, just at the wrong time. Like he sort of had this crisis of of identity. Like who the fuck is he? Like he doesn't want to be part of the, the drug gang. Uh, not really into the game and then he cures himself he stays what like a week in the country and he's like man this sucks Mm -hmm. i gotta yeah (laughs) i think that's like a running theme uh, of the show is like how provincial all of the the drug boys are like they sort of know their own block and once you get them outside of that they're like i don't like this at all i need to get back uh into what i know um yeah. yeah. Have we,
2: did we, I might have missed it, but have we already seen the, that scene where Bodie drives to like, they and I think it's drive. the start of season two. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he, he's surprised that the radio stations are different. Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah. so he, well, he didn't
4: know that it was possible to to get far enough away from Baltimore that you can't <laughs> listen to your regular radio stations yeah. anymore.
3: Well, we have the we, we, he's already he went to juvie and he had to bust out because everybody in there is from DC and he doesn't like tr- <laughs> he doesn't trust people from other places. So he's like, screw this, I gotta I gotta go back to my home base, and that's basically what Wallace did. Mm -hmm. uh before we get too
2: far though i want to go back to the scene where they figure out like oh shit what about wallace Mm -hmm. Uh, that all kind of starts because nakisha uh nakisha i forget her last name but nakisha the security guard who who they flipped so that d'angelo could walk Mm -hmm. they find her murdered and that's what gets them kind of going like oh shit like what about all these people we were supposed to be protecting one of them's wallace and then the other one is uh Daniels asks about Chardine, and it looks like you have a clip for that, Vince. I'll play that now.
7: What about your stripper? Woman's got heart. I mean, I want to protect it. No more bodies here.
6: Well, I got ruined my place, you can live with me. I got no problem with that. (laughs) Remember who you are, Detective. Protect and serve, Lieutenant. Protect
3: and serve. (laughs) Remember yeah. who you that are. That's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. He just says to protect I mean, and serve. Like, that's part of our job. What are you talking about?
4: Yeah. Before we give uh, Freeman too much shit for being, like, the the pervy old guy, you got to admit that meeting Freeman is kind of ends up being a net positive in Shardine's life. Yeah, Shardine's
3: alive. If, if someone had yeah. wanted to fuck Wallace, he probably might not be dead. <laughs>
4: So true. I mean, the thing that kicks all that off, though, I think, is one of the scenes where you see the evils of Levy, the drug lawyer. Yeah, I was gonna bring that. Because before, he's best just been. Oh, he's a lawyer. He's good at his job. He'll show up there and tell you to shut up and not talk to the cops. And this is the one where he is basically the guy being like, "Okay, I'm gonna leave, but when I do, you guys should talk about who to murder." Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have a clip of that. It's called Murray Orders a Hit because like. Watching this scene, I was like, Dude, he 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 just basically ordered a hit on yeah. a security card, yeah. right? He's
4: knocking the dominoes over here. Yeah, yeah,
2: i yeah, will play that.
10: Listen, I think what's important is
4: to take stock and
10: ask yourself what's out there that can still hurt you. Where are you weak? Where do you need to clean up? Think it through. Start with Orlando. If Orlando rolled, you know he talked about the club, at least.
7: That punk-ass
6: nigga ain't talk about shit else but the club. That's all he knew about. He wasn't rolling with us like that. Kept him
10: on the outside. All right, so you walk away from the club. You're not on the license, you're not a listed owner. They can't make a connect. <sighs> Yo,
7: when did this shit start up? Not about the time that your nephew beat that charge. After
6: maybe when they found that witness with the lead in his dome, shit hit the newspapers. But around
10: that time, the cops was on our shit. The security guard. The one whose testimony sprung to Angelo. LaKeisha Louse. Yeah. Bug-eyed ass bitch. But we hooked that up. So she can still hurt you, right? Yeah. The point is, anybody who can hurt you can be put into play. The less I hear, the better. How about you?
3: I think that's like also a sub-theme where they bring her up and they're like, bug-eyed ass bitch. Like You have to (laughs) dehumanize the person that you're killing uh, in order (laughs) to feel less bad about it.
4: What well, also kind of highlights that they're in that whole situation where D'Angelo killed a guy in the housing projects to set all this off. There was no right answer because the guy no. who did not go along with them and testified against them, yeah. he ends up dead. Yeah. And then the person who did work with them and be like, nope, not the guy. I'll, I'll say what you powerful drug dealers want me to say also ends up dead.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. She got a nine month stay on her execution. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes cool. it's
3: not silver or lead. It's silver and lead. Yeah. And she
2: had to go back to that job. Like, she didn't even get paid enough that she didn't have to die at work, you yeah. know? And someone, Like, she was it, a security guard when right. she got killed.
3: Yeah. At least she could have, like, fucked off to the Caribbean or something. But yeah. no. Uh, yeah. And then they call her a bug eyed bitch. But uh, going back to sort of my point about this whole episode, it's like that is the entire conversation we get about them deciding to kill her. Uh, they mm. also, I, I didn't play it in the clip because it was too long, but they, like, they talked about little man and they're like, he needs mm-hmm. to be taken care of. And they're like, yeah, he's already been taken care of. So mm-hmm. basically we like learned that little man is dead through just like supposition and mm-hmm. uh reference without af- ever. He's not even important enough that we get to see him get murdered.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Another, yeah. Another body that, yeah. I, even on, I think on first watch, I didn't even catch that. I think it was like second watch that I was like, Oh, he's dead. Okay. Did we, I, I, I think we only see him for like a minute in the whole series and then yeah, just suddenly it's like, well, that guy's dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I
4: mean, in fairness, like, I don't know if I could pick a little man out of a lineup. No. Uh, he's like, the fat he's one. just one step above yeah. guys like eggy mule who we hear about, but never see. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, he's a, he's the fat guy. We see, we saw him once when he was drinking a slice that. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. That, and littering and littering yeah. that Freeman uh, pulled the print off of. Um, yeah. So he's dead now apparently. And then they killed the Lake- Nikisha Lyles. Then the cops are, no, they find Nikisha Lyles and they're like, Oh yeah, Wallace. Uh, we got to figure <laughs> out where that guy is. Um, and then it turns out the Barksdale gang is doing basically the exact same thing. And uh, Stringer and Avon are trying to lean on D'Angelo to tell, tell them where Wallace is at. Uh, and Wallace doesn't, he, he won't give up the name. Mm-hmm. I have a clip of that. D protects Wallace D protects Wallace here it is so strength yeah so y'all wanna get with me
6: yeah we need to holler at your boy you are know, the one that dimes on Omar's bitch can't recall his name which
7: one you know the one that was at the Greek's that night and we paid him for the lookout what would y'all need him for What's to you? You ain't got to worry about him. Say what? He's gone. He's out the game. Out the game? Yo, the man asked you a simple question. Look, I don't mean y'all no disrespect. You know I don't. But I'm sitting here telling you that the boy is out the game. And even if he wasn't out the game, he wouldn't be no problem. Well, you know we just want to talk to him, D. Hey, Avon.
3: At the boy be. It's kind of an open question, like whether they're like more suspicious about Wallace because he protected him so hard. Like, if he would have just been like, "Oh yeah, he's over there," like would <laughs> would they be as suspicious? But as soon as like, "Oh yeah, he's he's out. Leave him alone." Uh, yeah, leave him
2: alone. Uh, and especially because they they do sort of insinuate that like stringer does anyways when that maybe d'angelo is part of what's what's you know undermining the operation when they when he says like at some point they're like when did all this start and it's like oh, when your cousin beat that case so then for him to also be like don't worry about this guy like it, it certainly made everyone it seems like it made them suspicious uh, and then, and then for ah, oh, that's got to be. It's such a, it makes it so stressful when Wallace comes back, and it's like, dude, he just he just like told them you're not here. Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. Go away. You
3: kicked heroin. You went out to the country, and now you're showing back up for some reason. Come on, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. After talking to the cops, like you, yeah, it's. He's that's what's unfortunate about Wallace is that he what he truly was not built for the game because if he were he well, first of all he wouldn't have you know snitched or whatever but then even if he he would have known that like oh I can't ever go back to to West Baltimore like that's a that, that's a death sentence
3: yeah um so yeah so then he shows up at the pit and uh, that's when we meet D'Angelo's uh, mom who mm-hmm. has brought uh, he brought. She's brought um, D'Angelo some fish cakes uh, and that leads us into uh, one of our favorite segments lake trout in which uh, we <laughs> we don't delve... lake some... trout no lake no
8: trout uh, <laughs> yep yeah, um
3: i think they described them in the show uh, spicy fish cakes on saltines with mustard from Sterling's. Uh, and i did some research uh, saltines yeah, yeah and apparently it's they're talking about something called a baltimore Coddy, which is like a fish cake uh on a saltine cracker uh cotties as they're known are something of a budget crab cake that's fine by me because i love salt cod and i enjoy it even more than crab uh, according to one of my favorite food blogs locals associate cotties with memories of baltimore of yesteryear when you grab yourself a fresh fried coddy with yellow mustard on a saltine cracker at any corner drugstore, or gorge on big platters of them at weekly church suppers. Uh, so basically, yeah, it's like a, it's like a crab cake made with uh, salt cod. Oh,
2: sounds pretty good. I'd eat it. Yeah.
3: It's kind of weird. Uh, the level like 20 years later, none of these Baltimore uh, delicacies have like become trendy in any way. Like, like a lot mm-hmm. of food, other places become, you know, they get hot, like, you know, you can get a, a quesadilla from in, in L.A. That became like you can get that at El Pollo Loco now. Uh, but I don't see anybody serving cotties for some reason.
2: No. Yeah. Countdown to like
4: $19 cotties, uh <laughs> in Hollywood. Someone opens a new Coddy joint in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, it's definitely it hasn't gotten the kind of heat that uh, Nashville hot chicken or, you know, mm-hmm. any of these other things that have gotten huge have since then.
4: I blame the saltines, honestly. Yeah. I feel like they're the weak spot. Yeah. And I've what do never you, had one.
3: Also, like the fish cake, it's already got like breading and like a binder in there. What do you need? A, what do you need like a saltine for? Well, how's that helping? Maybe it's yeah. like, you know, I don't know. A saltine, it's really good in like a, in a clam chowder, I guess. Yeah.
4: See, now I wish we lived in the alternate universe where these did get huge. And the way you knew somebody was bougie was they used Triscuits <laughs> instead of saltines and their cotties. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's like Triscuits, they, I mean, I definitely think that there was probably a caddy on the back of the Triscuit box at one point. Remember when you buy a Triscuit and oh, you yeah. have like mm-hmm. the pictures on the back and it was like somebody. Like, make who, a little pizza. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> somebody who spent $70 on charcuterie to eat with their Triscuits. <laughs> Come on, man. No one's using them like that. Um. So, yeah. So Wallace gets back. And that leads into like one of the more memorable, sadder uh storylines on this whole show, which is yeah, Wallace finally getting got. And uh, I well, Stringer Bell basically comes to the pit and he won't even uh, like <laughs> Bodie reaches out for like a handshake and Stringer just looks at him. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know, maybe something like that triggered something in Stringer's mind. Like this guy is obviously uh, like if you know who the big boss is, who's like above your supervisor and you're trying to kiss his ass. That's how you know someone is really invested in the organization. I think that was Mm -hmm. probably the moment where he's like, all right, well, this guy will do some dirt for us. And so he gets him in a car and tells him what has to be done. And I think I have a clip of that. Yep.
7: What's up man? Same old, same old. What's up with that boy? Oh man. He just a pump, that's all. D put him back on the count though. Oh word? I heard he was out the game. What? He back now. Where he been at? Down his granny house, he said. It's Granny, now. Huh? I heard he damn near shit his pants when he saw what happened to Omar's bitch. He just ain't built for this, man. Heart pump Kool-Aid. Right. What about you? You built for this shit? No doubt. You ready to put the work in?
9: You got heat?
3: and that's all he says he never says he never says says, hey you got to go kill wallace now yeah see i mean that seemed to be especially on rewatch here i was
4: like stringer bell is very careful you know (laughs) the the most careful person in the organization probably but also man this is a situation ripe for some misunderstandings Uh, a real freeze company a hit Like, if if we start doing it like that, how long until somebody gets shot and we're like, I was just asking about him, man? (laughs) And you're like, come on, that's how we do things, right? Like,
3: yeah. Yeah, you said. said Never said kill him. Stuff is happening, you know? (laughs) His heart pump Kool Aid is one of my favorite lines. Uh, Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite line in this episode. Uh, He's kind of doing the bug eyed bitch thing where he's got to, he's got to like mentally think that while Wall- he's got to mentally degrade Wallace in his mind, so he feels less bad about shooting him. But like in a larger sense, uh, you really see the power of a union. Cause like with the cops, if the big <laughs> boss man comes to one of them and is like, where's Santangelo and Santangelo is just like drunk in his car. They're going <laughs> to cover for him. They're going to sign his run sheets. Like they have a, you know, they have a clear, a clear bond where apparently that does not exist for the drug hoppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were saying about it being uh, kind of vague.
2: Not only does that protect Stringer, but it also like remembering the first time I saw this episode, it allows you as the audience to, to like, to like deny what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I, cause I, yeah. even on the, on a rewatch, I was like, well, he didn't tell, he didn't tell him to kill him. He didn't tell him that. So yeah. yeah like the, the whole run up to the Wallace death is so stressful Especially now that like I know that it's gonna happen, and I think the first time you see it, you kind of know, but you're also like you said, it was before Game of Thrones, so you're mm. like, well, they wouldn't do that to us. No, like, this is a this Something's is like happen. the only
3: pure he's character. Too cute.
2: Yeah, he's taking care of these kids. He's they he's like a make nice extra
3: scenes of him being nice yes. to kids and giving them Chinese yeah. food before it goes mm-hmm. down. Uh, you know the, what? I, sorry, what,
4: watching this though, when a couple of these scenes here with Bodhi. And and then with Wallace together where I'm like, if you would have asked me watching this, if I watched it live and you said, who do you think is going to have the more promising acting career going forward? Is it going to be this kid, Michael B. Jordan, who at times some of these lines come off sounding really stilted when he delivers them? Or is it going to be J.D. Williams as Bodie, who is just fucking flawless as an actor throughout this entire series and just seems so natural and and it exudes like this this power but also like a weird humanity even when he's trying not to i would have thought for sure it was going to be jd williams and yeah.
3: that's just not how it went i mean it i just, guess i didn't it goes I, to show under, you... I
4: underestimated how hot uh, michael b jordan was going to become <laughs> yeah. as a grown man yeah i was I gonna say
3: like you, th- how many reps you get in hollywood is always related to how handsome you are like you realize mm-hmm. like how correlated that is because like even now, like I'm sorry, like Michael B. Jordan is not that great of an actor still. Uh mm. he's like a very handsome guy. Uh and Bodie is like not even that much like less handsome by comparison. But man, he's just gotten rep after rep just because damn, that's a hot guy. We gotta put him in stuff. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, he's well, he's really hot and he's never bad.
3: Yeah, no, he's not bad. He's not bad. Yeah. I mean he's better than like I would say he's arguably better than a lot of his Uh, white analogs like your charlie Mm -hmm. hunnam's and your Mm -hmm. fucking uh Mm -hmm. like taylor kitches like he's probably at least that good and they've gotten a ton of reps too um Mm -hmm. but yeah uh the other thing about um, real quick before we get to the
2: other thing we do have to take a break for ads before we forget so let's do that real quick and then we'll come back to that so uh yeah listen to these ads we'll be right back hey vince hey matt as you know, Vince, I love old
8: internet memes. Remember the early internet's obsession with Chuck Norris jokes? I do remember that. Here's one. When Chuck Norris went to college, he told his father, now you're the man of the house. <laughs> why Why do you bring this up? Well, I was thinking about those old memes, and I started thinking, I wonder what Chuck Norris is doing right now. What has he been
3: up to? You know, I actually know the answer to that, Matt. Yeah, I recently saw a health video he made, and I was surprised. He's in his 80s. And he still seems to have energy and health.
8: You know, I saw the very same video, Vince. And in it, he says he's even stronger, has more stamina and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. That's almost
3: too powerful to contemplate. But yeah, uh, it's true. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. Uh, his wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and has energy all day.
8: Uh, I am way younger than them, and I have energy for about two hours a day. Uh, And the problem is, you know, that many of us do not include fruits and vegetables and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video. That explains how he incorporated
3: these things with one simple product. I love special videos, and you can watch it too by going to mymorningkick.com slash pod yourself. And it may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's
8: M-Y-M-O-R-N-I-N-G-K-I-C-K dot com slash pod yourself. Mymorningkick.com slash pod yourself. Go there now and watch this very special Chuck Norris video.
3: all right, we're back. What were you saying, Vince? Oh, the other thing, the question I had about that scene is Stringer's asking him if he's strapped. And this is like the guy who's down at the pit with the drugs. Uh, Like you would think that you don't want to keep a gun anywhere near where you're keeping your Mm -hmm. drugs and money. Like that was kind of a thing that I thought Omar mentioned early on. Like you, and this is a guy that's like, been uh the cops have already busted him a couple times just by just showing up in the pit and running up on him like they could theoretically do that anytime and if he's got a gun on him like that's an extra however much jail time
2: yeah you know that's a good question because i also I,
3: i kept Every time I watched
2: that scene, I was a little confused by the gesture where he just kind of like touches his waist. Yeah. But you don't see any bulk there. So I don't know. (laughs) It sort of seemed like he didn't have a gun on him, but he was kind of like making gun fingers. Yeah, I couldn't
3: tell. Like, it seemed like it was hard to tell whether he meant I I have a gun on me right now or I could have a gun on me right now. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And also, I
4: mean, or just saying I have access to a gun. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Because, I mean, that's a, a thing that has uh vexed me throughout the wire is how do you handle the need to have a gun ready but also the potential that the cops will just pull you up at any moment and chances are for one reason or another either you shouldn't be having a gun because of your past criminal record or the gun isn't exactly registered with a concealed carry <laughs> permit
3: yeah um um yeah so anyway they That was his order. That was his order Mm -hmm. to kill Wallace. Uh yeah. And then
2: we see um Bodie and Poot kind of talking it over, and he's trying to convince Poot. And this is another scene where I am like, Poot's gonna stop him. Like Poot's not gonna let this happen. This is his best friend. There's no
3: way. Sorry, I remember what I was gonna say. I was gonna say that Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of another theme of the show, uh Stringer not being as good at his job as uh Avon is. Like he lacks Mm -hmm. some of Avon's like natural street smarts. and I think that's part of, he never questions like Bodie having a gun and, mm-hmm. uh, like how the, the idea that that could hurt them because, you know, the mm-hmm. cops just show up and they snatch Bodie up on a gun charge. He could, you know, drop the dime on them, uh, to get a reduced sentence. Like, I feel like that's something that, that Avon would have picked up on, but Stringer is sort of more short-term goal oriented. Like when they are going to get when they're going to kill Orlando, he didn't think about where Orlando got the money. He was just like, Oh money. And then now he mm-hmm. wants Wallace dead and he's, and, and Bodhi has a gun. He's like, Oh, he's got a gun. Well, that's good. That's convenient for us. Let's just do that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what they do. And then, you know, they show Bodie and Poot. They take Wallace out to dinner and they start reminiscing about the old days. And you know, it's a bad, it's a bad for any character in any show. When they start reminiscing about the old days, you know, they're not long for this world. Uh, and that's basically what happens. Um, we don't actually see what they told Wallace to get him to go up. And I guess, I guess it's like the kids, they, they feed the Chinese food to all the, uh, little ghetto orphans that Wallace is Mm -hmm. taking care of. Um, and then they go out for something and they come back and all the kids are gone. Um, and we never see what, Bodie and Poot told those kids to get him out of the apartment or whether they told them anything or whether that was just a coincidence. Um, huh?
2: Yeah. I didn't think about that,
3: but they just get, they get Wallace cornered in a room. I was too distracted real quick before we get there. I was too distracted by the fact
4: that they all left a full hot dog on the table. Yes. Right. I yeah. noticed it too. What the fuck <laughs> yeah. was that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wondered if that was supposed to be like, Especially you notice it that Poot gets up without eating his hot dog. And I'm like, that doesn't seem very Poot-like. Yeah. (laughs) Unless there was a woman waiting for him. It doesn't seem like something he'd do. And then I was like, is that supposed to be purposeful to read as they're too preoccupied with Mm -hmm. the murder they know they have to commit and therefore it affects the fellow's appetite. Yeah. I couldn't tell if that
3: was an artistic choice or if that was just a continuity thing where it's just Mm -hmm. like, they happen to get the best take before any of them had eaten the hot dogs and they just sort of left (laughs) it in there. I don't know.
2: I also I really wish that they had revealed where that hot dog place was, and was it in the rankings for Sidner? Yeah. and Herc. That would I would have loved to know that. I where does it like, fit? Greatest dogs
4: in world history. <laughs> yeah.
3: It didn't look like there was chili on it. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, so yeah, so they get they get um, they get Wallace uh, on the check check in that room trick. Uh, they get him to go into the back room, and um, that's when. Bodie corners him and uh, He has to tell him he's soft Before he kills him uh, I thought that was a really good scene Just the way Poot is like Poot's kind of annoyed with him in that moment I think mm-hmm. I have a, we have a clip of that Yeah we got a clip of that I'll play that Yo check this Poot
7: Little man left his playing shit
5: You're a weak ass nigga, man. You, you should have stayed down in the country, man. Yo,
12: you
7: my I'm a nigga, yo. You fucking brought this on yourself, man. You boys. You brought this on yourself. Ain't you gotta be like this, yo. We the niggas, man, BC, remember that? Come on. You wetting your fucking pants like you a little boy. Be a man. Stand up like a motherfucking man. I'm my niggas, yo.
5: Man, you said you was a fucking man. Stand up straight. It's us, man. Do it, God damn it. if you're going
3: to. Yeah, great, great scene. I really enjoy that. Um, Poot's kind of doing the thing that I feel like I would be. I think, I guess we find out that Bodie's like not quite as hard as he pretends to be mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. moment, but. Poot's doing the thing that I think I would be doing uh, if I had to kill someone. I think the last thing you want to do when you kill someone is, like, give them a chance to, like, beg for their life or, uh, like, tell you why you shouldn't kill them. I would think that you'd want to just, like, get them up there and just surprise them and not have to, because that's going to be the hardest part is hearing someone beg. Yeah.
4: Well, or, like, to present it as if you were trying to make him into a better person. <laughs> like, yeah stand up straight like yeah. what difference does it make now yeah like, you know? oh, i got yeah. to grow up
3: right before i die who gives a shit yeah. <laughs> i guess yeah you want to die like a man like he doesn't die like snoop does later like way later in the wire mm-hmm. where she's like how's my hair because she's yeah mm-hmm. she's real
4: like, yeah she's hard well and you got to imagine in that moment too that snoop has in her mind prepared for this moment probably for years the, the the very real possibility that one day it's going to be your turn yeah and you know this one the 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 very short and quiet scene that came before where poot and Bodhi are talking to each other about like whoa shit are we really gonna do this like and Bodhi makes the point like the man came down here and gave the order and says either we step up or we step off and it does put it into sort of a, a context that we're just like Okay, yeah, you you are not gonna be able to go back to Stringer Bell after that and be like, "Yo, so I thought about it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real quick though, I just yeah, thought, yeah. you know what? On on further reflection, mm-hmm. yeah, he stood up straight when I told him to, and so <laughs> yeah.
2: now I think maybe his heart is pumping uh, like real juice, uh-huh. and we should keep him
3: around. We've upgraded him from Kool Aid to uh, Fruit Punch Gatorade, um, and I think he. <laughs> He could be pumping man's blood like in at least like, <laughs> two weeks or less. Just give us some time. Um, it does make uh. me sad that like uh, the crying Wesley Snipes uh, screen cap from like New Jack City has become <laughs> yeah. the shorthand for like I'm sorry I have to kill you because like this to me is one of the greatest I'm sorry I have to kill you moments in pop culture, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's it's sad that there's not just like one frame that conveys uh, poot being sad about having to kill wallace
2: yeah yeah Um,
3: yeah but i i think that poots
2: i don't i never thought of poot as like a great actor i think everyone in this scene is really good poot included like even just standing there like kind of like looking sad like it all just it kind of works for the character too because you would in that moment you realize that he's probably the hardest one in the room he just didn't you know he didn't want to But as as soon as he figured it out um, yeah, know, there are like, to.
3: there are other shows that have, watching certain shows have, has given me like a greater impression, uh, greater like impression of Poot's acting, uh, in this just because like he plays a one note character, but there's never really, there's never really a moment where I don't believe Poot. Um, I watch yeah. a lot of Cobra Kai with my kid and, and like, there's a lot of characters on that that are equally one note and the acting is just like notably terrible. Compared mm. to this and uh, watching this, I'm like, man, Poot, I, I'm pretty sure. I, I don't know if I don't think he was like uh, a seasoned actor when they cast him in this or anything like that. But uh, he does a pretty solid job the whole way through.
4: They just shoved yeah. him out there like, so your thing is that you love
3: pussy. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they kill Wallace um, and then uh, D'Angelo, we get, no, D'Angelo, yeah, Avon, ahead. Avon. Um, decides that they need a re-up and they they have to go to New York and basically buy drugs, uh, and sell them almost at cost because they lost their whole stash house, but they got to, they got to, they got to take like a a loss in order to keep the towers running, uh, and keep, keep all their drug markets humming. So there's still so much that
2: happens after Wallace's death. That was right. another thing. Like on a rewatch, I was like, what? I wasn't that the end of the episode. Can I fucking go relax for a minute? No, it's yeah. got to keep going. stuff has to keep happening.
3: Yeah. They got to, Avon has to send D'Angelo to New York to get some drugs. And unlike Bodhi, like Stringer just gives Bodhi like a series of uh nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And, and Bodhi gets <laughs> yeah. it. Whereas like D'Angelo sort of has to be, ha- have his hand held through that entire process. Like, where am I gonna go? How long am I gonna stay there? What am I gonna drive? Mm-hmm. Then what? Uh, and then, yeah. The, but um, the 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 detail, thanks to Chardine uh, knowing the fucking layout of uh, Avon's club, they were able to pull some some sort of blueprint. I didn't understand. They called it a co-star or something. I didn't yeah. look that up. I have no idea what it is. Uh, they got they got a camera in there. They caught avon yeah that felt a little bit like tv magic where yeah. it, it was another <laughs> yeah. one where
2: on the first watch it was like how are they seeing this like what happened i because yeah. there's the scene where you see chardine like walking with the string on her feet to measure stuff and 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 a great like Rhonda perlman reaction to watching all of these fucking meatheads just stare at a woman walk across <laughs> but then yeah it's just like all of a sudden we're watching video and it's like, like- why were you guys doing this the whole time what happened
4: well, it also seems at first like they're going to get a video into the room where this shit happens just in time to watch them pack up and leave. And yeah. like, yeah. n- as a viewer, you've watched enough of them being a step behind that you think that that is what's going to happen there. You're just kind of like... I mean, there's the great scene of the of... Avon having the guy measure the safe and then measure the door and stand there scratching his head. He's like, what you scratching your head for? And you are, are kind of trained by now uh, of like the rhythms of the show to think, okay, you got what you needed finally too late and it's not going to work. And then they just, it almost feels like a little bit of a deus ex machina because we're like, oh, okay, by the way, uh, now they're going to talk about something that is extremely useful to yeah. you.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's a great moment with, with Avon and the safe. It's such a great little... Writing detail about Avon's character that when he sees the cops coming, he just opens the safe door so they can seize his money because he's like, no sense ruining a good safe. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. goddamn. That is a uh, that is a smart criminal right there. He's like, why would I? Why would I waste a good safe? They're gonna get the money anyway. Uh,
4: well, also, him commenting, look at these Delta Force motherfuckers out there. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great moment. I too. like that
3: everybody hates the SWAT guys. They're like, oh, these <laughs> fucking assholes. <laughs> yeah. So Avon, or sorry, D'Angelo goes to uh, do do a drug run to New York. Um, oh, going back to Chardine with that fucking yeah. like when when they're teaching her how to like. Pace off the amount of yards uh, so they can get the camera mm-hmm. in there. I like how uh, Freeman's thing was to tell, be shocked that no one's been in the army. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and he's like yeah well, what you guys have never been in the military as if that's the only way that a person would know how to pace off the yardage to something my my, <laughs> i was sitting there watching that going like well obviously none of you guys are golfers because uh you <laughs> were you would know how about that like one step would be like about a yard and you'd be able to pace off yardage but he's like no no this is what we did in the service do you think that's also
2: him trying to like, be like, Oh, and by the way, I'm a hero. Yeah. So I mean, if you're oh listening, yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah. I met Maybe I fought in the, uh, I don't know. What, what would he've even been in desert storm? Yeah. I've, I fought in desert storm. Everybody agrees. I'm a hero. That was the right thing to do. I was there
3: helping. So, okay. Uh, well, what do you think? So if, uh, if Freeman is like, I don't know what, 50 years old in this right now, and then yeah. 50 years old in, uh, 2002. So that would make him born in 1952. Uh, I guess, like theoretically, he could have been in Nam.
2: Yeah, I guess that makes more sense. Yeah, the end of Nam.
3: Yeah. So anyway, uh, they're watching all this on video. Um, they get the uh, they get the transponder on uh, D'Angelo's car, partly because he's such a foppish dandy. Um, <laughs> they're kind of playing the long game on depicting D'Angelo as like a guy who cares a lot about his clothes and takes fucking longer <laughs> in the <laughs> mirror than any woman. Uh, and like, it comes to fruition because he's at his house changing his clothes and making himself look nice just long enough for them to get the, uh, the tracker on his car. Um, and then on they- his Ford Taurus, Ford Taurus. Uh, and they pull his ass over and they get him into the police station and uh and McNulty tells him that they that they killed Wallace, which he didn't know before.
2: That's yeah, and that's a real slow play on their part. They they, they he's like uh he does a little a little like Columbo like, oh just one more thing. Uh they killed that guy.
3: <laughs> yeah. And it's like such a small but important detail when he points out the fact that like oh yeah, you have this good lawyer, but he's not really working for you. Like he's, mm-hmm. your uncle is paying this guy. So who is he really working for? Um, and uh, and D'Angelo plays it off. Like he's like, fuck you. But clearly in his head that has gotten to him. And it leads us to probably, I don't know, arguably one of the more memorable scenes slash lines in The Wire, which is uh, where's Wallace at? And uh, obviously we, we can't go without playing a clip of that. It
7: wasn't me who fucked up. Oh, really? So who did? Why the fuck are we here?
10: Listen, all you need to do is keep your head through the bail, Harry. got a good shot of bringing you home here.
7: Then what? Hmm? You want to take the weight for all the shit in the trunk of that car? Where's Wallace at? Where's the boy, Strang? D'Angelo, shut your mouth. Where's Wallace? That's all I want to know. Kid, you better think. Where the fuck is Wallace? Huh? Strang? Strang, look at me. Look at me! Where the fuck is Wallace? Huh? I don't want this payless way, motherfucker, representing me. I'm going to get my own man. All right? So just get back in your car and get the fuck back down south. i you stupid motherfucker. You made the decision. Yeah, I made my decision. Where's Wallace at? Where the fuck is Wallace? Where's Wallace, straight?
3: He says it like three more times, but I cut it off a little. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: another great... Uh, Idris Elba putting in some really good work in this, in this whole episode. But I think, yeah, just his... Um, just the line read on on shut the fuck up
4: was like scary. It was so yeah. good. The quiet menace, yeah, of stringer bell. But also the begin the the hint of a little bit of panic of what if the usual system of rewards and threats breaks down here, and mm-hmm. then what? Like the thing he's not really prepared for is mm-hmm. that like okay what if Avon's nephew is the one who completely cracks open here mm-hmm. and like what a disaster that would be. Yeah. yeah. And to Vince's point
2: about him not being quite as smart as Avon, his only response is, Hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> there are definitely moments in the show where it seems like they're relying on their underlings to be, uh, to keep Omerta like more, cause that's, uh, I mean historically like people have always been terrible at that like once you get like it's always at best like a 50/50 shot but mm-hmm. you know with certain people like with WeeBay, they're like oh yeah WeeBay's a rock of course he's not going to talk but like in real life that guy might talk who uh, yeah. what do you what do you like what do you know I mean I guess because his only family is like his fish he doesn't really give a shit but like mm-hmm. uh I don't know they seem they seem way too confident in certain people not talking which I guess starts to break down finally. Well, he does we learn later that
2: Weibay has a son, right? That's right. his kid, but yeah. not yeah, one that yeah, he takes yeah. care of or cares right. about. Not, right, not right. any family
3: that he cares about <laughs> as much as his fish, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, we get the Delta Force motherfucker scene. And uh, McNulty says, what well, who they think's up there? Tony Montana. And he clearly says Montana because he's <laughs> yeah. very obviously a British man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's sort of the end. They put, they put Avon and cuffs and they sort of make a point to put Avon and cuffs while not cuffing uh stringer, like to mm-hmm. sort of, sew some division between the two of them, mm-hmm. Uh solid move. Um And then, And then don't forget McNulty says,
2: catch you later, which is
3: I think a perfect
2: like corny ass cop line in that moment. (laughs) Yeah.
4: The the thing I wondered going back and watching it is what's going on in the moment where Daniels is leading Stringer or uh, Avon down the stairs in cuffs. He's got the bag of money and McNulty sort of stops at the top of the stairs and is looking off and Daniels has to motion with his head. Like, come on. Like we, we did what we came here to do. Let's get out of here. And I'm like, what are we to think that McNulty is think? Is he savoring the moment? Is he realizing once you walk out of here, this whole thing you were building towards is over? Or
3: is he think, supposed to be thinking about doing something else? Um, I think he's having a moment of reflection, but it's, it's hard for us as audience members to recognize that he's having that moment of a reflection without there being a body of water near him. Because usually, you know, <laughs> when a character in a drama has like a reflective moment, they're usually like staring at a lake or like they're by the, by the train tracks, at least. Oh yeah. Drinking exactly. By the train tracks. Yeah. Feed some ducks. How do we know that you're <laughs> reflecting otherwise? Um, but he is, uh, and that's almost the end, but we go back down into the, the war room where they have the wall, the thread wall and mm-hmm. uh Beluski and Sidner are having a quiet moment. I really wish they would have gone out to closing time. I think that would have been a good song to end this <laughs> episode on, you know, uh, era appropriate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, or, I, it's, or good riddance by green day <laughs> Yeah, the time of your life. I feel like that's something that you would put in there if the show was released now. Cause there's been enough time mm-hmm. for you to like recognize that as like a, a touchstone for that kind of moment. It was probably too new at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, that was the episode.
2: Yeah. Any, uh, any favorite scenes, least favorite scenes, anything we missed Ben?
4: Uh, I mean, I still think I reflect on the uh, Daniels and uh, Clay Davis getting together as one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Uh, and just that it felt like once you knew these two guys are in there, there's only a matter of time before they they clash. Uh, I also like the one that I guess we didn't discuss is where Burrell in trying to find a way to put pressure on Daniels brings up his history, his alluded to, but never quite spelled out history in the Eastern district mm-hmm. and sort of like really puts a point on it by being like, you could go to jail if mm-hmm. I like, there's an FBI field report here about you and that gets really serious in a way that maybe I didn't appreciate initially. And Daniels playing high stakes poker here decides, you know what? I think you're bluffing because. And that great line that you would rather live in shit than let the world see you work a shovel. I'm glad you brought and that
3: like, up. We have a we have that clip. I pulled that. I did want to talk about that. It's um, that... Burrell blackmails Daniels.
4: Yeah, here it is.
3: It's long, but it's. It's a lot of acting, so it's totally worth it.
2: Fuck has that got to
7: do with anything? The money is part of my case, and there might have been a time when I was willing to say otherwise to let you and all your friends hide some of the dirt, but not now. You want to talk about dirt? Have at it. Let's talk some shit about your Eastern District
6: days. Talk some shit about what was going on back when you was running wild in the DEU. Let's just talk. Just talk. <laughs> FBI field reports. You came into a lot of money quick. You can go to jail just as quick if I start asking the right questions. This case ends or you are done. Hell, I don't even need you to lock up Barksdale. I'll have your major debrief your detectives, type the warrants himself. This case
7: is done. You do what you feel. You wanna pull Avon in on half a case, you go ahead. You wanna put my shit in the street to feel free. But the Eastern had a lot of stories. Mine ain't the only one. A lot of people came through that district. If you were gonna do me, I'd already be done. But there ain't nothing you fear more than a bad headline, is there. You'd rather live in shit than let the world see you work a shovel. You can order warrants and I'll serve them. But as long as I have days left on those dead wires, this case goes on.
3: Yeah. So I I love, I mean, I love this uh, because like Daniel's uh, function as the company man sort of works for him here. Like he's, he's such a company man that he understands that they can't, uh, they can't do him without uh, opening themselves up to a bunch Mm -hmm. of other, like the corruption going a bunch of different ways, which is basically what we've seen. Um, you know, throughout this course of the show is that you can't do one case without it opening a bunch of cans of worms. And he sort of, he sort of understands that they can't fuck him over without accidentally fucking themselves, which is really good. And it's sort of that, uh, it gives you that catharsis of telling your boss to suck a dick, which I think is a big (laughs) part of the wire's appeal. Um, But there's also uh, like another level that uh, makes this makes this scene feel dated in a way that uh like time has proved proved us to be even more cynical than this show was then because like i don't think in 2022 you can threaten someone by like threatening them with bad headlines because like that probably was a legitimate fear uh 20 years ago but now like i feel like if you threaten someone with bad headlines nothing you fear more than a bad headline they'd be like what? No, I don't give a shit. Like we, uh, <laughs> no one, yeah, no one reads the news. Yeah. You, How many bad that, that yeah. murdering unarmed people
4: out there all the time. Yeah. This is going to be fine.
3: Donald Trump had a bad headline like every six minutes and uh, yeah. it seemed to only make him more powerful. So I don't, well, think... I
4: mean, I guess it does go make the point that you're not going to be able to, run a case on one police officer from the these days like it's going to be a whole thing and you're going to be presiding over a police corruption scandal and that will probably drag you down with it and one Mm -hmm. you might not be the one going to jail but you are probably not going to be still sitting in the chair at at the end where the dust clears and that is probably correct
3: oh yeah yeah, so that's uh that was our last big actors y scene uh in this episode. And yeah. Pretty I mean he also doesn't feel, it doesn't necessarily like uh read as literal realism, but uh it's great to watch and it's memorable mm-hmm. and it sort of gets all the points across. And he
2: mentions like the drug enforcement unit, and I, I haven't seen all of We Own This City, but that was the drug enforcement unit like basically using their powers police to like make money so is it was that all public knowledge at that time is that sort of david simon like implying like oh also also baltimore cops did all this stuff that maybe
3: nobody even knows about yet i don't know i mean that book didn't come out until like i don't know 2000 like i mean the show covers like up to 2016 it's past like the trump era so i don't know i mean maybe there was just rumblings of it that's yeah, a good question
4: yeah, maybe you didn't have to exactly have your ear to the ground to guess that uh, the Baltimore police had some corruption.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you figure if you send a bunch of guys to uh, to seize a bunch of drug money, like it's pretty common sense that they're going to keep some of it for mm-hmm. themselves. Um, but yeah, that's that was yeah. the episode. Um, Vince, any any scenes you we didn't cover? Any favorites, least favorites? Uh, I think I already brought up his heart pump Kool-Aid as my favorite line uh, in the yeah. episode. Um, yeah, nothing Nothing that super... I don't remember any parts of it bothering me.
2: Yeah. Uh, one scene that uh, that we didn't cover that, it, that I really liked that I, it looks like you have a clip of was the scene with uh, Avon talking to D'Angelo's mom after he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play that clip. And the way you did. In one car.
8: He should have been trailing a mule. 95 0 on a train. It don't make no difference. He shouldn't have been out there alone.
7: Look here, Brianna.
8: Ain't you ever heard of a trap car? You send my son to New York in a motherfucking rental, and then you just let him ride with that package in the trunk?
6: I'm sorry it, sorry, it went out. Sorry like ain't gonna did. bring
8: that boy out of prison. Just better make sure that Jew lawyer yours earns his money, all right?
6: Well, D'Angelo gonna have to do his part. Meaning what? You like the car you're driving in, right? Like this crib, I put you in this crib. You like it? Yeah, meaning we all got a lot to protect here. You need to remind him of that. So when it come down to it, he can stand up tall.
5: You ain't got to worry about my child. I'll raise
7: that boy, and I raised him right.
2: Uh, yeah, I love that scene. One, now after just talking about that Burrell Daniel scene, it's kind of like a weird parallel where she's like, she's like, what? what, what yeah, Avon has to be like, hey, we're all kind of intertwined here. Yeah. This falls on me. And you're like, where do you live, lady? The Barksdale uh, organization
3: is too big to fail. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, and that woman, I I forgot to look up her name, but she also plays, um, she's in Snowfall as one of the drug dealer's moms. So she's really carved out a niche for herself as a drug dealer's mom. And I think she's, I think she's great. And she doesn't look a day older in Snowfall. So good, good for, for her. her. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, that was the only, that was the only scene that I felt like we needed to cover. Uh, I don't, yeah, I didn't have any least favorites. Uh, like I mentioned, just some of those scenes where it's, it's you know, just two people talking about campaign finance reform on First Watch. We're like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Somebody gets yeah. shot. I don't know. Well,
4: I mean, one thing I guess that I would say about that scene with of uh, Avon and Bianca is that it does remind me of one of the things that was sort of. I don't want to say revolutionary about The Wire when it came out, but at least way different was that we're not just doing cops and robbers and it's good versus bad. It's mm-hmm. We're seeing it from the perspective of the criminals. So like when she's saying, I raised that boy right, what she means, what she's actually saying is, "He's I've raised him to be willing to go to prison uh, for yeah. decades to protect <laughs> this uh, drug trafficking enterprise. Don't you worry, he'll do the right thing there. Yeah. Well, the and, right
3: thing is no snitching.
4: Yeah. And it is the right thing from the context uh, that they're discussing it from. And you know that as the viewer, like you, you haven't had to be really be trained too hard for this empathy for what they're doing what, and how things look from their perspective. You're like, yeah, no, she, she is, there's a pride there that she has that you feel like is earned.
3: Yeah. She crushes it. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I mean, if I had to give this episode a grade, tough choice i think it's arguably the most memorable episode of the wire uh which is you know one of the greatest shows of all time obviously um and so therefore i'm gonna have to give it a solid b plus
2: yeah i would say uh i agree one of the more memorable scenes in the in the history of the show one of the more memorable storylines coming to a close and then also some stuff that you know knocks it down from an a to a about a b plus
4: for me, I mean, I guess I just think about it a little differently than you guys, and so, like, from my viewpoint, it's eighty-eight percent. Mm, okay,
2: you know. okay, okay. That's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm tough, checking the uh, yeah.
4: the chart here. That's that's
2: roughly a B plus. So on okay. average, about a B plus. Yeah, we'll call yeah, it a B plus. That feels B+. right. Uh, B plus episode of the Wire, A plus episode <coughs> of Pod Yourself the Wire. Thanks again for doing it, Ben. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Where can people find you?
4: Well, they can uh, listen to my podcast and its associated properties about uh, professional fighting, comainevent.com, and the Comain Event podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. And you could sign up for my substack about fighting at uh, the Fighting Life substack. And I'm pleased to finally get to be on one of these shows where we spend more time than the actual runtime of the episode <laughs> talking about the episode.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yep. Thrilled to have you. Um, all right, uh, Vince, before we go, uh, we got some new patrons. Uh, if you're new to the show, if you sign up for the Patreon, you get early access to these episodes. And if you sign up for the Pod Yourself a shout out tier, Vince will give you a corner nickname. Uh, this is what your nickname would be if you were working for the Barksdale organization mm-hmm. on the corner. Uh, we've, got, we've got a bunch of new patrons right. this week. Uh, I got so my I nickname giving
3: shoes quiet. on, I'm ready.
2: Sick. All right. First up, we've got Nate O'Keefe. Yeah, I mean, that's an easy one. We're going to call him Queef. <laughs> Queef. Thanks for signing up, Queef. Uh, next, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, and I apologize, but it's Jim Jigware. G I G U E R E. Giguar.
3: The Giguar. The, Jim Jiguar. He's the Gigolo. Obviously. The Gigolo. Yeah. Good
2: yeah. Gigolo. And after that, we've got
3: Alex Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, we call this guy Trout. Trout. Swimming upstream. Yep. Next on the list, a lot of dudes. James Colton. Colton. Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think I named someone horse in the last uh, episode, so I'm going to have to call this guy, you know, Colt is a kind of horse. I'm going to call this guy baby horse.
2: Baby horse. That's right baby horse signed up. We really appreciate it. Next on the list, Matt Phillips. Screwdriver. Screwdriver it is. This guy he's got the special kind of head. Uh, next up, Brad Sutton.
3: Mm. Su- Brad Sutton. That's a tough one. Ooh. Uh, yeah, we're going to call this guy uh, I'm gonna go with the first first name word association on this one. Uh, we're gonna call this guy Staples.
2: Staples, soon to be crypto.com. Next on the list, Brian Husa. Husa, Huska. We call this guy Jailbird. Yeah, that's right, Jailbird. And our last new patron of the week, Brett
3: Timperman. Ah, uh, yeah, that's gonna be little drummer boy. <laughs> little i'm glad that we have no female patrons this episode god yeah. i hate it when girls listen to the show yeah no girls allowed yeah, that's
2: right. uh no just kidding we'd love to have uh i'd love to just talk to a woman even if it's through the podcast
3: you know i'd like to compare the ratio of uh male and female listeners to male and female actors on the wire and to see who has the higher percentage i feel like it'd, it'd be close
2: it's big yeah pretty close neck and neck uh, anyways thanks for listening uh, five stars rate and review thanks again Ben uh, sign up for the Patreon uh, say hi to Matt's baby goodbye oh wait no I, That's the sign off is uh, if you come for the king you better not miss sucky, sucky, sucky,
8: sucky, there we go, go. Omar Wire, Matt Lee, Giscontini, Brent Flybert, David Simon, come on the show. In the Wire, episode 12, the coldest story ever told. Boot and Bodie kill their boy, cause strings said so. Now do you scream where's Wallace?" D. Stringer, where's Wallace? Wallace? Oh, he wanna know where Wallace is. This fuck, this is me, yo. Wallace says this to his homie DNG Low. He is back from kicking dope at his granny's home. And now he wants back into his old crew, yo. I mean, after all the things that they've been through, his best friends in the world are Bodie and Poot. Hey, yo, he knows there's things that he ain't told them. Like a few episodes back when he snitched on them But now he wants back in the pit And he gon' show me That he's ready to be put back on the money But Stringer just talked to his lawyer Levy Tells him better safe than sorry In The Wire, episode 12 The coldest story ever told Food and Bodie killed their boy Cause string said so Now do you screaming where's Wallace? Stringer where's He talks to Stringer Bell, he asks him if he's ready to put in the work. He decided that Wallace had to go Cause he's worried he's gonna snitch about Omar's boy Poot asked Bodhi why they gotta kill him though Homie, I don't know, the man said so We step up or we step the fuck off You already know how this game goes They run and get some lunch together at the Greeks Wallace being cute and reminiscing They go back up to his room and Wallace just don't see He's about to get murdered by Poot and Bodhi In the wire, episode 12, the coldest storm Oh, now DS screaming, "Where's Wallace? Wallace. Dia Stringer, "Where's Wallace? Wallace? Oh, he wanna know where Wallace is. What a bitch I'm. Coming. He made calm in my wife's bum. I know you can't believe work will just set you free. Some people say I'm lost, cause I denied the Holocaust. Hitler was for for this and that. I'm wearing my mega hat. LA Max is flap, 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 cause he's a Jew. And he's also a. To keep it down because there's a babe.
9: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.